0: Earlier this week, Merrick Garland faced a confirmation hearing in the Senate as President Biden's pick for attorney general. If he gets confirmed, Garland says the first thing on his agenda will be taking on the investigation into the January 6th Capitol riot. It's a widespread investigation that presents greater questions for how the department handles Far right violence, and domestic extremism going forward. A focus on those issues does mark a change from former President Trump's Justice Department, where threats of far right violence were reportedly deprioritized. This wouldn't be the only change under a Biden Justice Department led by Garland. At times, under Trump, the DOJ was politicized when pressured on cases involving the president's allies. The once-close relationship between former Attorney General William Barr and former President Trump called the DOJ's independence into question.
1: Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir.
2: Um, the president or anybody else.
1: Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us.
2: Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, uh, there have been discussions of of matters out there that uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation. But Perhaps
0: they've suggested?
2: I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted?
1: I, I don't know.
0: And the changes weren't just in challenges around the department's role in the executive branch. Policies changed, too the Trump administration moved away from some efforts to address systemic police misconduct. Those are parts of Trump's legacy that the Biden Justice Department has now inherited. On this show over the years, we've covered so many of the changes inside Trump's DOJ. Now, with Garland set to lead that department, we want to take a look at what he faces and how he might tackle those challenges. Garland is set to head a DOJ whose independence has been questioned, whose commitment to civil rights has wavered and whose power will be tested as it conducts an investigation into the actions of a former president, his allies and a mob that tried to stop certification of the presidential election. So can Merrick Garland take on these challenges? Can he rebuild confidence in the attorney general's independence? And how might his efforts to carry out Biden policy priorities, like combating far-right extremism and curbing police violence, make the perception of an independent Justice Department even harder to achieve? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of an American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. Merrick Garland testified at his confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Monday. I
2: thought the biggest takeaway was how fundamental the riot at the Capitol on January 6th is going to be to Merrick Garland's attorney generalship.
0: Matt Zapatosky is a national security reporter for The Washington Post. He spent years reporting on the Justice Department. I had Matt come back on the show for his first time in the Biden era to offer insight into what we learned from Garland's confirmation hearing.
2: He said he's first going to go in and be briefed on that case. And then he sort of springboarded off that to say priority number one is going to be to focus on domestic terrorism and sort of stamping out white supremacy. So uh, maybe it is an obvious thing, but it was very notable to me how focused he is on that one single day and how much that is clearly going to shape his tenure at the Justice Department.
0: Yeah, and when you think about what his tenure at the Justice Department might look like, it obviously opens up questions about what he's inheriting. So what was the overall atmosphere at the DOJ over the past four years?
2: Well, the DOJ was battered, frankly. I think a lot of career employees felt like President Trump really sought to politicize their work. The Attorney General, particularly Bill Barr, got involved in criminal cases involving the president's friends overruling the recommendations or thoughts of career attorneys. And that really hurt morale towards the end of his tenure, Attorney General Bill Barr sort of came out and attacked career employees, said, well, they're political too. So morale is in a bad place. There's this feeling, particularly among Democrats, but among many Republicans too, that the Justice Department's historic kind of independence from the White House and its credibility as an apolitical law enforcement institution has really been damaged. And the Biden administration sees Merrick Garland as the perfect pick To fix that, he's a longtime federal judge, worked in the Justice Department in the 90s, and just has a reputation as a very moderate guy, a consensus builder. He's maybe not an inspiring pick to those on the left because he doesn't have a long history with criminal justice reform or progressive prosecution principles. But he's a consensus building sort of guy who the Biden administration hopes will restore the Justice Department's luster and convince the public this is an apolitical law enforcement institution in many respects.
0: On the note of restoring the Justice Department's luster, what norms were broken under the Trump administration that Garland has either said publicly or we have an inkling based on reporting that he's really going to try to restore.
2: The big thing is kind of the wall between the White House and the department when it comes to criminal cases. So it is important to note that Merrick Garland is a cabinet official. The Justice Department has policy responsibilities, and those reflect the will of the president. So you are going to see policy changes that you would see sort of with any incoming liberal administration coming off of a a Republican administration. But the big thing Garland wants to sort of fix that happened in the last administration was getting the White House out of criminal cases. In the last administration, Mike Flynn, the president's former national security advisor, had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. But late in the game, as he's sort of awaiting sentencing, the Justice Department decides to review that case and then seeks to walk away from it. It sort of all becomes moot when President Trump pardons the guy, but people really saw that as an instance of, boy, the Justice Department is really trying to do President Trump's friend a solid. So it's things like that. Garland repeatedly said this is not going to be Joe Biden's Justice Department. This is the U.S. Justice Department. He is not Biden's attorney general. He's the attorney general of the United States, and he's going to seek to enforce that if he's confirmed i am not the president's lawyer um i am uh, the united states lawyer and i will do everything in my power uh, uh which i believe is considerable uh to fend off any effort by anyone um uh to make prosecutions or investigations uh, partisan uh, or political in any way my job is to protect the department of justice
0: so it's safe to say the relationship between garland and biden might look very different than the relationship between Barr and trump
2: yeah, I would imagine it would. And look, towards the end, the relationship between Barr and Trump was toxic, you know, as happened with a lot of cabinet officials. But I don't think you're going to see quite the closeness as you did in in the Trump administration. I should note, you are going to see Merrick Garland taking policy steps that align with what President Biden wants. Uh, He talked at his hearing pretty extensively about the death penalty. And if President Biden imposes a moratorium on implementing the death penalty, as Garland suggested he expects Biden will do, Garland will not stand in the way of that. You know, he's not a totally independent figure here. He is a cabinet secretary and on policy questions, you'll see him implementing President Biden's will, and you'll see Republicans upset about that. But on these basic questions of this is the law and we're just enforcing the law, he has sought to assure the public he's going to put a wall there.
0: I want to talk about another norm, if you will, that was broken under the Trump administration that the Justice Department faces now, which is this sense that the Justice Department historically had a mission to defend civil rights. And we saw some of that erode under the Trump administration. Do we have a sense of what Garland's view is on the DOJ's role in defending civil rights?
2: So, at his confirmation hearing, he talked about how one of the Justice Department's original mission was sort of stamping out the Klan. Civil rights are clearly a thing that are important to him and are, that are going to define his tenure. I would put this question kind of in the policy bucket. So, in most Republican administrations, the Civil Rights Division becomes less of a priority, or its priorities just shift, you know? In the in the Trump administration, you saw the Civil Rights Division focused a lot on religious Religious liberties and, and protecting the rights of people to practice their religion, it, it sort of really upset people with steps it did or didn't take on, say, LGBTQ rights or voting rights. Garland's Justice Department is going to be much more focused on those things. An additional thing it's going to be much more focused on that sort of fell away in the Trump administration is police reform. So the Justice Department Civil Rights Division particularly in left leaning administrations has really sought to force reforms at troubled police departments and they do that with these big sweeping investigations of patterns and practices that happen at local police departments across the country. Then they negotiate a settlement, what's called a consent decree that a court monitors, and they get police departments to change their ways, essentially. The Trump administration almost entirely got out of the business of doing that. They saw that as not their prerogative. They saw it as sort of a state's rights issue. I would expect, even though it will chagrin Republicans, that Garland will go back to the days of forcing reforms. He talked at his confirmation hearing about these consent decrees are an important tool and one they intend to use, and that will represent a shift. I would just broadly expect the Civil Rights Division to get more aggressive on all fronts. Biden has promised to increase the number of personnel working in the Civil Rights Division. The person that Biden has tapped to lead that particular division, a woman named Kristen Clark, is a civil rights leader herself. She worked in uh, the Civil Rights Division many years ago, but has been outside as kind of an advocate. So that will represent a big sort of shift for the Civil Rights Division. And and Merrick Garland's Justice Department is just going to be much more Um, focused and, and frankly, left-leaning than the Trump administration was on that front.
0: To return to your first point, Garland has said that his first priority is to tackle this investigation into the Capitol riot. What role does the attorney general really play in that investigation?
2: Well, he has to supervise everything, you know. He is not the guy on the ground interviewing people who went into the Capitol, staking them out outside their house as they leave to arrest them. He's not that guy, but he sets the tone. He would make thorny, controversial decisions. He would sort of shape the broad contours of the whole investigation. And he talked at his confirmation hearing about how he sees it progressing, which is you start sort of with the guys who went into the Capitol, but then you look at How did they get there? Who funded them? You sort of build up the ladder. And there could be some consequential, important decisions there about, did people incite these folks? You know, some of my colleagues reported recently that the Justice Department is really interested in Roger Stone and his possible role here. That would be a weighty call, launching an investigation into him or potentially prosecuting him that Merrick Garland would have to make.
0: And obviously what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was really an unbelievable moment in American history. Will the Justice Department have to do anything like refine or expand some of its powers in order to be able to investigate this riot properly?
2: Yeah. So Merrick Garland talked about that and he noted that, look, the Justice Department has a history investigating domestic terrorism. And in fact, when he was last in the Justice Department, he supervised the prosecution of the of the Oklahoma City bomber. He knows domestic terrorism and he knows that there exist laws that the Justice Department has used in the past to investigate and prosecute that kind of thing. What he said is he needs to get briefed up on this case though and see if maybe Congress could pass some new laws or the Justice Department could get some new tools or resources to investigate and prosecute, maybe not even just the folks who entered the Capitol, but this broader threat of white supremacy and domestic extremism. There are things that the Justice Department can do with international terrorists and non-U.S. citizens that it can't do with domestic terrorists. There is a sort of domestic terrorism definition on the books and the the U.S. legal books, but there's no specific domestic terrorism charge. There are some people who would like to see something like that. There are others who want to see sort of more dramatic steps, which could be constitutionally thorny, having to do with watch listing possible domestic terrorists or, or white supremacists using some charges that we use for international terrorists, like providing material support to groups, could we develop a law that allows that for domestic terrorists? Those have sort of sticky legal ramifications and sticky First Amendment ramifications. But Merrick Garland sort of was suggesting he's open to hearing about this case and open to hearing about possible new laws. And after he get brief, certainly the Justice Department could advocate for some new tools if it felt like that was necessary.
0: Right. And it's interesting because for the past several decades, much of the Justice Department's work has focused on a threat of international terrorism, as you spoke to. And now there's this pivot toward more domestic terrorism. Does it require a huge sort of cultural shift at the Justice Department? Does it require a major resource shift there? How might this particular case change what the Justice Department handles and what it looks like in the coming years?
2: So Garland did stress that he is still concerned about international terrorism. I, would, I certainly wouldn't expect that to go away. In talking to sort of outside experts, former Justice Department officials, certainly I think we're seeing and there should be a cultural shift. For a long time in the FBI, the way to advance was to do international terrorism. You know, the classic criminal work that sort of lines up better with domestic terrorism, the Bureau would say that was very important but priority number one was national security, and that sort of meant investigating and prosecuting terrorists abroad or those inspired by terrorists abroad. Now we're seeing that They need to devote the same focus and the same amount of resources to those domestic terrorists, those inspired by white supremacists at home or directed by white supremacists at home. For a long time in the Bureau, those who did significant international cases, terrorism cases, were the ones who rose up the ranks. And maybe going forward, you see, well, the people who busted up white supremacists and domestic terrorists are the ones who rise up the ranks. And that sort of creates a cultural shift to have the Bureau more focused on that issue.
0: To find out more about how the Justice Department navigates these competing priorities of international and domestic terrorism and what it takes to shift them, I turn to someone who's spent years doing this kind of work. From 2014 to 2017, spanning the end of the Obama era and the beginning of the Trump administration, Mary McCord served as acting assistant attorney general for national security at the Department of Justice. I asked her what changes she saw in the Justice Department's approach to national security over the last presidential transition.
1: I definitely saw when the Trump administration came in that there was a great desire to use national security as a justification for anti-immigrant policy. That included the Muslim ban and that included other policy measures that the administration wanted to take with regard to immigration. And particularly with respect to the Muslim ban, it was my position, and I conveyed this, that the national security statistics, in other words, our our terrorism statistics, did not support a heightened threat from the countries that were part of that Muslim ban.
0: Mary explained that during her time in the acting assistant attorney general role, she saw the beginnings of an effort to put government structures in place focused on domestic extremism. But it wasn't right away.
1: As soon as I began my tenure in the National Security Division, literally one month later, ISIS declared the caliphate. And so for 2014, 2015, the operational tempo when it came to the foreign terrorist threat, the threat from ISIS, was at an extremely heightened level, comparable to that post 9-11. And that threat you know, stayed throughout my tenure, although it was definitely on the decrease by the time we're hitting late 2016 and into 2017. At the same time, we were seeing an increase that really in many ways coincided with the presidential campaign, seeing an increase in hate crimes and in extremist rhetoric. I think actually it was 2014 under Eric Holder, we reinvigorated the domestic terrorism executive committee and hired after that a domestic terrorism council within the national security division to really monitor extremist threats. And I didn't see any change in that Even after transition to the Trump administration, it was still a priority. I will say that during the Obama administration, there was a task force working group that was put together to supposedly come up with measures to counter violent extremism that included grant making to organizations that were involved in countering extremism. Uh, Right after the administration changed, there was a withdrawal of those grants. And eventually that entire task force pretty much disbanded.
0: What have you seen over the past few years as the DOJ has started to grapple with this issue of domestic terrorism and and of far-right extremism?
1: Um, I think the public statements made by the director of the FBI and the assistant director for counterterrorism, even I think as early as the summer of 2017, started to reflect the heightened threat that the greatest threat is racially motivated and within racially motivated the greatest threat is white supremacist extremism i will say that since leaving the department and this is i think even more so under uh, attorney general bill barr than it was under attorney general jeff sessions i think there was a real uh, hesitation to admit the threat of white supremacist violence in the u.s and we saw that dramatically this past summer both the president and Attorney General Barr were quick to pin any isolated acts of violence amid what were overwhelmingly peaceful demonstrations to pin those on far left extremists or Antifa or what they called violent anarchists actively trying to suggest that it wasn't the serious threat, that instead the threat was from Antifa. So
0: if Merrick Garland is confirmed, One of his first big tasks will actually involve political extremism. He'll be taking on the investigation into the Capitol riots. Can you speak to why this might be a particularly complicated or difficult case for the DOJ? We're dealing with a past president and his potential actions and also his allies' actions. Why might this be challenging for the DOJ?
1: It's challenging mostly just in its scope, right? I mean, it was a massive um, attack involving many, many, many people from the charging documents already show maybe almost every state represented, I know at least 40, You know, people came from all over, so it's a massive investigation, many, many people to have to talk to, much research to be done, including into online activity and social media activity where a lot of this type of planning takes place. If what you're suggesting, though, is like a political difficulty because of the fact that the former president was involved in egging on the insurrectionists and incitement is not not super easy to prove. But there are things you can be looking at, and this would apply not only to the former president, but other people who might have been involved in inciting activities. When the president is tweeting and speaking publicly about having you know, won the election in a landslide and have it, having it been stolen from him, and is speaking publicly that the public should not allow this to happen, should fight like hell, should never concede, should march down the street to the Capitol, the question is, What does he know about how his base followers have responded to his calls in the past? What has he already consumed about the violent rhetoric and the threats of surrounding the Capitol and taking over the Capitol? Did he know that when he said those things? Now, I've just been focusing right now on the president, but I do think there's at least enough known to justify investigating whether people in positions of power and authority through their statements and actions uh, and words, you know, inside of this.
0: Now, earlier you mentioned that Attorney General William Barr sought to deprioritize some of the white supremacist violence and some of the investigations into that. Do you believe that the events we saw at the Capitol resulted from a failure of DOJ to prioritize some of this violence, some of this white supremacist and far-right violence as a real
1: threat? I, I don't think you can name any one single failure for the insurrection. I think that throughout the past administration, there was a very permissive environment for extremists on the far right. The, the statements coming out of leadership, this whole past administration, but particularly the past year, gave them almost some sort of, in their minds, license to do the things that they were doing. But I wouldn't put this all on justice. I think it was a combination of total failures of leadership to condemn extremist violence from the top and then that led i think at least some people in law enforcement and intelligence to downplay the threats that were known before January 6th
0: so then what changes did you, do you expect to see to how the department handles domestic extremism going forward
1: well i think Merrick Garland you know in his hearing the other day was very clear that this is a a high priority i think you'll see the department working with the White House and other players in the national security and public safety sphere so that includes Department of Homeland Security and other departments and agencies that have a piece of this i think you'll see them you know really trying to bring a whole of government approach to combating the threat i think we're going to see more prioritization on prevention as opposed to you know just bringing prosecutions after the fact because just like in international terrorism we'd far prefer to thwart a violent act of terrorism than to prosecute afterwards after people have been killed. Now, I I also think, and I think Judge Garland made this clear as well, that there's structural racism in all of our institutions, right? Economic, housing, financial, et cetera, that need to be addressed. And we can't ignore that because when we're talking about far-right extremist violence, a lot of it really comes down to white supremacists extremist violence which is supported throughout this country's history.
0: Alright, I want to ask you about one last thing. Merrick Garland has also spoken to the fact that he wants to restore the independence of the Justice Department or the perception of independence of the Justice Department. If he hopes to do that, where does he start at this
1: point? He referenced independence between the White House and the Department of Justice and the the need for the department not to be perceived of or actually be a tool that could be used by the president for political purposes. In modern history, there's always been policies that prohibited the sort of discussion about pending investigations and pending cases between the White House and the department, except in very narrow circumstances. And I think even though those policies still existed this past four years, we certainly saw degradations of those policies, I think, and certainly statements made not only by the president, but also by the former attorney general that would suggest that they weren't really being adhered to. Reversals in pending prosecutions like the prosecution of Roger Stone and Michael Flynn. And that's really... Highly unusual and certainly appears to be politically influenced, whether in reality it was or was not. The appearance is so damaging to the department.
0: With some of Garland's biggest priorities pretty clear, I went back to our reporter, Matt, one last time to find out what other changes we might see from Garland when he takes the reins at DOJ. So we've talked a lot about what Merrick Garland's priorities might look like. Is there anything on his priority list that we haven't covered?
2: You know, I don't think there's anything in his priority list that we haven't covered. I did think another notable aspect of his hearing was his refusal to really offer any commitments on politically sensitive investigations. One of his big challenges, in addition to the the episode on January 6th, is what is he going to do with the John Durham investigation, which is this Bill Barr-created project to review the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign? And Merrick Garland sort of wouldn't give an inch. she wouldn't commit to letting that go to its conclusion, nor did he say that he was going to shut it down. He said he sort of saw no reason to shut it down. The Justice Department is investigating Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son. That's a very thorny issue that Merrick Garland is going to have to tackle. And again, he said he saw no reason to shut that down, but wouldn't offer anything in the way of commitments because he said he had to be briefed on those. I just think it's it's worth bringing those up because... Republicans are going to be very focused on what happens to those and those are going to pose a real challenge for him in terms of keeping the Justice Department out of politics and restoring the Justice Department's historic independence and credibility. It's not just Democrats he has to convince that the Justice Department is independent, it's Republicans too and if he were to take controversial steps in those cases that could pose a challenge for him.
0: All right. Well, will he get confirmed? What are his prospects for actually becoming the attorney general? Does he have bipartisan support on this?
2: Oh, I think he has immense bipartisan support. So several senators either said at the hearing or have said publicly that they anticipate supporting him. He had a a sort of day two hearing where outside witnesses testified about his credentials and issues he might face. And even those called by Republicans sort of said, oh, I definitely support him. I'm just concerned about these issues. So I would expect him to be confirmed with bipartisan support. I expect next week is in play for that. first has to get out of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is expected to happen on March 1st. And then after that, the full Senate would vote. But I see no reason why he wouldn't be confirmed.
0: All right, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? As always, leave us a review, tell a friend, post it on Twitter, do whatever you got to do to let somebody know that you like this show. It means a lot. And thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with new logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.
2: If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it.
0: In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is cover-up season four, The Anthrax Threat, available now.